Welcome to Soundscapes, the Swedish Chamber Orchestra's podcast. I am your host, Gregor Zubicki, and today I'm going to be talking to the violinist and orchestra leader, Lorenza Borani. Welcome to Soundscapes. Today, I'm going to be talking to Lorenzo Borani about the whole process of, of, let's say, studying a piece of music in a way. In her case, with a whole orchestra. Uh, any piece of music, of course, starts with a composer. And the composer starts with a blank page. Probably the composer has an idea about the sort of music they want to compose before they start on the page. But still, the blank page must be quite a challenge. Um, it's interesting when one looks and thinks about where does the music come from before it goes into the page. Uh, uh, there's been some very fascinating footage recently of recording sessions with the Beatles, um, where one could see how they were developing the piece of music in, this, in, this, in the process, in the studio. And of course, the Beatles, they didn't write down the music they composed. They composed it and played it, and it sort of existed in that way. Other people then transferred it to paper. And this whole fantastic language we have of being able to write down a piece of music so that somebody else on the other side of the planet in 200 years' time can in a convincing way reproduce what that person wrote. That is a fantastic thing in itself. Of course, at a distance of time and history, when we play the music of, let's say, Bach or Vivaldi or even earlier, we're in a sense guessing also what was behind that piece of music because the notes are just there but we don't know what it sounded like at that time not entirely convincingly we can read books that they wrote about music we can read the schools for for violinists and others which are really great ways of learning how they thought about music um, but we don't really know for sure how it is and and some people have made uh, really studies of it and as a young student when you come to conservatory and you you learn a piece by Mozart you learn something about the style of Mozart for example, a trill in, in Mozart comes from above. Whereas in later music, it comes from below. This is a tiny detail. Who actually cares? Who even notices? But it makes a difference. It's an awareness of things. And there are thousands of details like this. Articulation in Mozart is different from articulation in Bach. And, and as a student, you are, you are working with your teacher or teachers on this kind of issue all the time and, 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 and trying to understand. Even in Baroque music, there's a difference between French Baroque or Italian Baroque or German Baroque. And of course, there are different periods within the Baroque. So as a musician, you can, can become incredibly nerdy and, and have, understand all these things in order to have a basis on which to then feel free. It is the famous frame, the frame that you need to surround something, to give it meaning, to give it context. And, and uh, in this process, one can, one can discuss all kinds of details. For example, uh, I'm just reminded of a great story with, with um, a Norwegian flute teacher, legendary flute teacher, Ernolf Goldbranson. And, and he had a student um, who um, played with too much vibrato. In other words, he was vibrating the tone. This was on the flute. So he was vibrating the tone with the air. Uh, and, and it was done in a non-reflective way. The student didn't really understand 
why. He was just playing with vibrato. And Gulbranson, the teacher, was trying to show him different ways of understanding this and wasn't having any success. So finally, he's quite desperate. And, and he lifts up like this in front of the student. He says, here, it's the Mona Lisa. Uh, can you see it? And the student says, uh, 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 yes, yes. Uh, do you like it? Is it good? Uh, yes, yes. Is it better now? And so that's an understanding of what vibrato can be or not be. And, I, and hopefully that student went back and, and, and got a more varied vibrato after that. So as a teacher, you always have to also think about an interesting way, and an image, to find another way of explaining. For example, I myself, when I've taught, uh, I've, I've thought that to say loud and soft are not really not really very useful thing because loud is like that and soft is like that. So when you play softly, you're almost scared to play. But if you think that loud is playing openly and soft is playing with a narrow focus, then of course, as you're playing softly, you're trying to come all the way across. And these are the kind of things that musicians think a lot about. The score is there, the music is there as our basis. And the score in an orchestra are all the music parts. Every part in that, that the orchestra is playing, from the flutes that are on top to the basses at the bottom, this is the score. And a conductor, or anybody trying to read that score, has to read it in two ways. A, you're reading it like this. You're reading the melodic line. You might say in a book that you're reading the, you're reading the text, you're reading the story. But in a really good book, there's a sub-story. There are things that are being suggested, things that you, that because the words have many different meanings. So you are also, in a way, understanding the author's vertical thinking. In a musical score, this is completely clear, because of the horizontal, vertical line, that is the, the harmony. That is the thing that gives the music tension or releases the tension. While the melodic line is going that way, being changed maybe from the one instrument to the other instrument, it's the vertical line that, um, that gives it context and meaning. And a conductor has to the whole time make choices uh, and, 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 and balance all these instruments against each other and balance the, the tension with the melody and against the melody. And the musicians have to know the score so well that they know what else is going on. They know where, if I'm playing the oboe and I've got, here's a melody, it's a little solo, it's only five seconds long. I have to know where it's coming from and where it's going to. Maybe it's coming from the flute and I'm leaving it on to the cellos. So I have to be aware of where it's coming and I have to anticipate it as you would in football. I sometimes talk about one-touch football. One-touch football for me is when somebody gets the ball and passes it to where that person knows that his colleague will be because that's where his colleague should be. So you don't have to look around. When I used to play football, I was one of those people, when I got the ball, my focus narrowed like this, and I could only see two inches in front of me, and I had no idea where anybody else was. And that's why I was always the last person to be picked for any team. Then there are people who naturally, their vision opens, and they have an understanding of the whole playing field, and they can see that invisible line, that if they pass the ball up there, it will arrive at the right moment, at the right time, for his colleague to pick it up and put it in the goal. And so that, in an orchestra, there's an absolute parallel to this. Because in an orchestra, if you, if you have that vision, if you develop that vision, then you are being part of a whole. And if everybody has that, the music moves ahead in a fantastic way. And for a leader, for a conductor, I think uh, it's probably one of the main ambitions is to develop that kind of a sense 
amongst one another in an, in an orchestra, in, in a musical story, which is after all what we're trying to tell. But enough about this. Let's talk to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, which is always the reason why we have a guest on this program. So I want to welcome Lorenza Borani. So, Lorenza, welcome to Soundscapes. Thank you. Welcome to Örebro Concert Hall and the Swedish Chamber Orchestra. And um, I thought we would talk a little bit today about this whole process, the whole rehearsal process. And, um, and of course, this is what you do a lot of the time. You lead orchestras uh, and you come with a concept or, or more or less. And, and before we even start about that, I would be interested just to hear, how did you, how did you find this role? The role of directing, yes. hey, it, it had to grow up with me. No, I, I, first of all, I think in my formation there was a lot of chamber music. So since I was since I was a kid, yeah. so this uh, it's it's different when you grow up really playing with the others all the time because you get to know what that means. No, to interact with other players and understand the piece together, yeah. and then. I, I mean, we, I think that one of the things that the most was teaching me, first of all, to understand the score, because if you want to direct a group, you need to be able to create an idea of a score and not just to focus on your own part. No? And I think the, my biggest school has been Spira Mirabilis, my project that is still running and it's still my school. As a, and what is that, for people so who don't know? It's a, Spira Mirabilis is a project that was created by me, plus other four, five members in 2007. Um, you had already been leading orchestras before that? Yes, 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 yes. I was, before, yes, I was leading, but not really directing. I was playing sometimes a solo, so maybe some solo concerto, but not really taking charge of, um, of a symphony. And, uh, and so I was leading orchestra, but, but then I decided with these friends, friends and colleagues with a huge uh, musical artistic uh, mutual estimation, no? To, to create a project where we keep studying together and learn together to study a score. In a mean, so, in a way, to learn together what is the job of a conductor. So we created this group that is called Miss Piramirabilis that very often is defined a group that plays without conductor. So this means there is a lack in that, but it's rather a big chamber music group, a big string quartet, that is dedicated to what the conductor does. We create together our invisible conductor, which is the idea that we build of the score. So it's a studying project that is based on the rehearsal process to build the idea and to study a score, which can be a symphonic score, can be also a Beethoven 9 with it, with the choir and soloists. So it doesn't matter how many people are involved from the score. But you're learning the score by playing the score. Yes, and before by studying, everyone studies the score in its own way before meeting, no? Create, creating questions, uh, bringing material to discuss before. So there is also a um, just intellectual approach before. And then we spend one week, 10 days in studying the score by playing it, no? And, and discussing it in probably the most democratic way, because we really discuss 
And this we can do only because we allow a lot of time. Because the reason why a conductor came was to have someone that has already an enough strong uh, vision to put together uh, an interpretation of a piece with many people that has a strength and has a coherency, no? that has a clear direction. Without this person, you have to build it. And it, it needs more time. So we decided to take this time. Let's take this time. Let's invest this time. But of course, um, even having all the time, the whole time you have, you need to have rules and you have to have a, a way to create this discussion. So we, for example, like a string quartet, went all together to have lessons to teachers so that you build a common taste. I mean, first of all, we chose each other. No? So you already choose those that you feel you have already a kind of common direction in the taste, which still, you can be still miles away about a little thing in the score, even if you have a common taste. So then we went all together to the same teachers in order to have a common knowledge language we could refer during our rehearsals. Like a dialect that you shared. A little bit, a little bit like, uh, Yes, there are a certain, certain, I mean, the musical text is only suggestive, no? It's written 3% of what you have to read, like any text, no? And it's not that if you read the text in Swedish, I can, uh, you can read the text in Italian even with the perfect pronunciation, <laughs> but it's not that you have exactly where the accents are, no? It's, it's suggestive, like any text, you need to know the language. So we tried to create a common way to read this. Uh, and still in the discussion, we need to always refer to the score. We cannot say, let's do like this because I feel like this, because how I feel can be different from how you feel. It's not a strong enough uh, uh, argument to create a coherent interpretation. So we have really, we had really to create a frame, a frame, and inside this frame, a frame of taste, of way of reading the score. And then inside this frame, the discussion is open but can have a clear direction. And uh, from this, we every time learn a lot. You learn how your convictions are strong or how you have to question them, no? By another person bringing you argument, for example, against. Or then you find maybe in the discussion between others, support for what you, how you think you read, you read the score. And, um, and so this is a very fascinating way of working that it's really similar to how a string quartet works when, no, with the Beethoven string quartet interpretation. Of course, then when, when I'm called to, to direct a group that is new for me, it's different because there is less time. And because first of all, I have the responsibility to bring the frame. Yeah. No, we had to build this frame, but I have the responsibility to build the frame of my idea of the piece that has to be very clear. And this is what I bring to direct the group because then I don't really conduct, I direct. No, this means giving responsibilities to others, sharing the knowledge of the score. Here, it's the bassoon that is leading us. Here, it's the violas that is this entrance, it's this particular harmony, no? So you bring the frame and once, so in the first, especially what, what will happen now, that in the first days, I am very much kind of dictating how we should work. 
But what I do also when I direct, I speak a lot, which can be tiring for people. But because for me, it's crucial that everyone understands why we do the sforzato in this way. Why here we have to breathe this way? Why? So that then we have we really build a common imagination, and then I have to do really the, I have to do the little as possible because everyone is really in charge. So as the process goes on, your role in a sense becomes smaller. For me, yes, it becomes more and more integrated. I also believe that very often a group that is led by the first violin. It's difficult that sounds very good because you have this soprano voice that it's leading everything. No, it doesn't. No, you have the. No, you have to lead it. You would have to lead it from the bass, from the not from the fundament of the group. And very often when we lead, and I constantly fall in this problem. Not that we. No, you care. So, as a soprano voice, what I play there, I don't have to to lead the group. I have to surf. Yes, no, yes. the soprano has to surf what has already. An idea. So I'm there, of course. I direct and I keep reminding, no, what we worked and and. But my way of working is more to really give out responsibility. So normally, when we work with Spira, we find out what are our responsibility during studying. I bring like a. I feel more like a theater director, no, that then you give this responsibility and then we have to stage the piece. Together, it has to be. So now that, for example, slowly the frame, the frame of the of the way, the direction we are going, for example, with this Schubert symphony, is clearer. There will be there. It's it, the door is open also to proposals mm -hmm. because it's clear there will be no proposal that go completely in a different direction. If there would be. A proposal from the day one, everything is allowed because in music, in a way, that it. It, it depends how you have the base of your interpretation. So everything would be allowed, and then it would be a completely incoherent mess. Uh, mess. But like this, now slowly it can come. They are starting to come proposals. But we are we, here. We be and, and they are all coherent with the direction we because are. Because they've understood the frame. Yes. So I then, understand. then it it can be, and then it's very important that this comes because otherwise interpretation would be the same. Everywhere you go, so you want to play with these people, no? With with this group. But ideally, I mean, in, for example, in a week like this, every musician always has their parts far ahead, yeah. so that they can prepare their parts. Yeah. And we also have scores available yes, for those of ones. But ideally speaking, of course, everybody should have been studying the scores quite intensively before you came. In a project without conductor, very much. Yeah. With the conductor, yes, it's always good to study the score. But uh, with with the conductor, you are more at the service of it. Then knowing the score, you can contribute even even better. But the more you are asked to have responsibility, the more this uh, studying the score is fundamental. And in your group, Spira, uh, which has now been going 15, 16 years, yeah. uh, what has the development been? I mean. What, what have you learned there? I mean, what? Uh, we, I mean, f we also moved a little bit uh, now later with the repertoire, no? Because in the beginning we were very much Classic. focused on Beethoven, and we did all the Beethoven symphonies, which was our really basement. Beethoven had strong shoulders to take all our mistakes. No, yes. it's it's like that. We started from Beethoven. We didn't start from Haydn and Mozart. This was straight. 
after, quite at the beginning, but not the first project was on Beethoven's second. Then uh, after a while, we, we started digging on the classical language, so, and period instruments also. We all together learned period instruments. Eh? And I think that now we are also exploring a little bit more the a bit bigger group and romantic repertoire, always being aware that the more you go later with the repertoire, the, the least what we do is historically correct, no? because there is a time when the figure of the conductor is kind of required by the score. So we don't want that that becomes a gimmick of showing we can do that without conductor. Right. So from the performance point of view, there are, we are now going to do a project of Mahler 4. So in the, in the, big, in the big piece. It's, and I mean, maybe Mahler symphonies are those that even the most have the presence of the conductor in the score, no? So probably it's artistically, we could say it's even wrong historically mm -hmm. to do it. But we do it to learn. Yeah. We do it to learn the language, to grow as a group. And this learning experience, is, it's our best payment. No? It's what we achieve by this learning is fundamental. So we decided to stop a bit questioning what is historically right or not and no, just to do just for, to it, yeah. for the learning. Yeah. And when you come to a new orchestra, I mean, it, it must always be a process initially of, of understanding where you are. Yes. Yes, for me, it's uh, um, now, for example, in this week, the first day we played through the symphony so that I could understand, get to know, because while playing, you understand already a lot of who is where, how, no, and the approach. And then, work, yeah. yeah, because it's not that one has a formula of working that works uh, everywhere in the same way. You have to find also what are the words that... Uh, so you have a radar. Yeah, a bit. But I have to say that here I found such an incredible commitment that it really feels home oh, great. work. Yeah. That's fantastic. Mm. And, and how do you see the future for yourself? Hey, the future for myself, it's always a difficult, a difficult question for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't wonder too much what is, I mean, I want to go on in learning for sure, exploring, also experimenting and a little bit challenging myself. Um, but uh, for me, it's, the, it's not this direction, it's more this direction. So for the, the process future. is the interesting. Yeah, I mean, and going deep in, in what uh, I, I questioned uh, during the pandemic, I questioned very much if what I'm doing, it's really what I want. I think many of us yes. did this, no? And I realized that there are many things that I would have also loved to do. And I even thought maybe I could just start a completely different. Uh, I was good at school, I could have done university, maybe I could start hist uh, study history, I could do, or even something scientific. I really, I yeah. got in this time, you know, I questioned everything, but then I realized that nothing I would have started now could reach the depth that I am now reaching with the music. And I realized that what makes me feel good about what I do is the feeling of going deep. And so, I mean, then I realized also, I mean, I love music very much and plus I can go very deep. So I decided to stick to being a musician. It's good. I think it's it was a good choice. <laughs> thank yes, you, Lorena. Yes, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Finally, 
I'd like to round off this program by telling you a little story. It's a story about the famous conductor, Sir Thomas Beecham. There are thousands of stories about Sir Thomas Beecham. There are other, also other conductors who might tell stories, but Beecham is the one that comes to mind. And I might tell some more in the future, but the one I'm telling you now, I think is rather good because Sir Thomas was doing an opera and the tenor got ill. And his wife comes to Sir Thomas and says, my husband can't sing. I know. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back. We hope to see you many more times. Again and again and again.